Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to Grace Church. On a little bit of a wet Wednesday night, but we are glad that you could join us here. We're honored that you chose to take the time to be with us here tonight. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, welcome to you as well. We trust that what you hear tonight will be a blessing to you. Just want to give you a few announcements. Uh, first of all, men, uh, this coming Saturday, the 27th, there will be men's prayer in the A Center at 9 o'clock. So we hope that you can make it out for that. And also, we want to remind everyone that this coming Sunday, the 28th, is going to be a communion Sunday here at Grace Church. Always a special time. And in case you didn't know it, uh, the 4th of April is going to be Easter Sunday already, already. It's already Easter in 2021. It is moving quickly. And as always, you can stay tuned with what's happening at Grace Church via the church app or just clicking on that uh, events tab on the website. Um, I'm going to do something just a little different before pastor comes. I want to read to you just a, a little bit from something that I was exposed to just today, but it really spoke to me. Hang with me. There are some words in here that will probably knock my teeth out, but we're going to get through it. Chapter 13, causes of the restless spirit of Americans in the midst of their prosperity. In America, I saw the freest and most enlightened men placed in the happiest circumstances which the world affords. It seemed to me as if a cloud habitually hung upon their brow, and I thought them serious and almost sad, even in their pleasures. They are forever brooding over advantages they do not possess. It is strange to see with what feverish ardor the Americans pursue their own welfare, and to watch the vague dread that constantly torments them lest they should not have chosen the shortest path which may lead to it. A native of the United States clings to this world's goods as if he were certain never to die, and he is so hasty in grasping it all within his reach that one would suppose he was constantly afraid of not living long enough to enjoy them. He clutches everything. He holds nothing fast but soon loosens his grasp to pursue fresh gratifications. In the United States, a man builds a house to spend his latter years in it, and he sells it before the roof is on it. He plants a garden and leaves it just as the trees are coming into bearing. He brings a field into tillage and leaves other men to gather the crops. He embraces a profession and gives it up. He settles in one place where he soon afterwards leaves to carry his changeable belongings elsewhere. If his private affairs leave him any leisure, he instantly plunges into the vortex of politics. And if at the end of a year of unremitting labor, he finds that he has a few days vacation, he eagerly, his eager curiosity whirls him over the vast extent of the United States and he will travel 1,500 miles in a few days to shake off his happiness. Death at length overtakes him, but it is before he is weary of his bootless chase of that complete felicity which is forever on the wing. At first sight, there is something surprising in this strange of unrest 
of so many happy men, restless in the midst of abundance. He who has set his heart exclusively upon the pursuit of worldly welfare is always in a hurry, for he has but a limited time at his disposal to reach it, to grasp it, and to enjoy it. Besides the good things which he possesses, he every instant fancies a thousand other things which death will prevent him from trying if he does not try them soon. This thought fills him with anxiety, fear, and regret, and keeps his mind in ceaseless trepidation, which leads him perpetually to change his plans and change his abode. Men will then be seen continually to change their track for fear of missing the shortest cut to happiness. Alexis de Tocqueville, Democracy in America, 1835. I don't know how much of that got through. It took me a few read-throughs. But folks, here's what I want to leave you with tonight. Whatever you're chasing, whatever you're pursuing, unless you have Jesus firmly front and center, it's not going to fulfill you. The bigger house the nicer car, the corner office, the American dream, whatever that even looks like today, it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to fill that hole in your heart. As de Tocqueville noted, it wasn't enough in 1835. It wasn't enough in 1935. It's still not going to be enough in 2035. Jesus said, he tried to warn us. Jesus tried to warn us. He said in Matthew chapter 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now think about it. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. Thank you, Brother Jason, for that. And I totally concur um, with the sentiment of that man's writing. Uh, it was applicable then. It's certainly applicable now. Um, somebody wrote a song years ago that said, Only Jesus can satisfy your soul and the truth of that. And the legitimacy of that is still relevant today. Thank the Lord. It's great to see all of you here tonight. Thank you so very much for coming. And uh, to have our, our students and kids in here tonight is a pleasure. But it just seems awfully quiet. Kind of, I'm not complaining. It's just an observation. But uh, it's great to see everybody here tonight. Great to have our, our kids, our students in with us tonight it's been a pleasure uh, it's just added I guess more flavor to my anticipation in being here on Wednesday night knowing that we would have some excellent excellent uh, young people in here to share the Word of God with <clears throat> if you recall we were not able to have service last Wednesday night due to inclement weather and um, we still have inclement weather, 
but not enough to stay home over. And a lot of you, well, all of you chose not to, and I appreciate that very, very much. I'm glad, so glad you're here. And uh, felt like we had a little momentum going two Wednesday nights ago, and it was broken by the weather last Wednesday night. But we're going to do our best to pick up uh, where we left off and uh, just continue on. If you'll remember the three Wednesday nights that we've been able to teach, I've been teaching on vision which is a, a subject that I really love. I really am passionate about it. I think most of you know that. And uh, I just hope that you're listening, uh, making some mental notes, making paper notes, notes on your phone, whatever you have, and you'll start implementing, uh, if you haven't already, the things that we've been teaching because it is so applicable, not just to church life, but to every facet of our life. So a couple of Wednesday nights ago, I introduced to you vision on a personal level. The prior two Wednesday nights to that, I talked about vision more on a church level, more in general. And I wanted to be very specific uh, for every individual here tonight so you can begin to look at your life and your future in a different way than perhaps you ever have before. And uh, I believe the, the things that we will share with you tonight is tremendous. I believe it's noteworthy. And uh, if you want your life to summarily be better, uh, I would highly recommend that you take advantage of these moments. Uh, we began a couple of Wednesday nights ago. If I say last Wednesday night, please understand we're referring to the, the last Wednesday night that we were able to have service. But we started off talking to you of a vision on a personal level. We talked about destination first. I'll just do a little bit of review and then we'll jump into our study for tonight. I talked about how life is a journey, and as you know, every journey has a destination, and uh, everybody ends up somewhere in life, but only a few end up somewhere on purpose, and that's the visionary, the person that ends up somewhere on purpose, and so we talked to you about destination, but specifically, vision weaves four things into the fabric of our daily experience, and I only covered one of those uh, the last Wednesday night we were together, and that was, first of all, passion. If you're not passionate about what you believe in, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, if you're not passionate about goal setting, reaching those goals, making feasible goals, reachable goals, if you have no passion about that, then you probably will just end up anywhere in life uh, and probably not, a, not really where you would like to be. I think most people fit into that bracket. But we talked to you for a long time, uh, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, about passion. And I talked to you about if you're, what, what it's like if your vision is limited, if your vision is based on illusion, if your vision is partial, or if our vision is based on the social mirror. I talked a little bit about those four things and uh, just spent a lot of time uh, talking to you about how important and essential it is to be passionate about the vision that you have for your personal life. And again, it just, it's not applicable just only to the church or even to the kingdom of God. That's where I throw the priority. As Brother Jason just said, if you, um, if you have vision and you seek the kingdom of God first, that puts your whole life 
under a completely different umbrella. Uh, it gives you direction. Uh, it does a lot of things. Uh, so tonight I'm going to do my best to complete this particular presentation. If I don't, we'll finish it up next Wednesday night. But, um, but last, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, I talked to you for a long time about destination and passion. Tonight I want to begin with motivation. If you want to be a, a visionary person, you have to have destination in mind. Something feasible, something reachable, something doable. It's not always just advantageous to say, I'm going to be the next astronaut to go to the moon. You may be, but more than likely, probably not. <clears throat> just being real. I think people need to set uh, their vision on something that's obtainable, whether it be the kingdom of God, the church, your marriage, you as a parent, what you do on your job, etc. So if you, if you want to be reach your destination, you have to be passionate, and, and then you have to be motivated. Vision provides motivation. The mundane begins to matter when you become a visionary person. The daily chores of life, the daily experiences of life begin to matter all of a sudden. All the details, the routines of our lives become a worthwhile means to a planned for end. I mentioned to you a couple of Wednesday nights ago about visionary people and I compared them to dike builders. People who fill sandbags for a city that's about to flood. Dike builders are a motivated bunch. Saving a town is enough to keep you working through the night. But just filling bags with sand for the sake of bag filling will leave you looking at your watch and can't wait till it's time to go home. That's where motivation makes the difference. You have a cause. You have a purpose. You have an end that you're rallying all of your resources toward. And it keeps you motivated. Vision-driven people are motivated people. Find me a man or woman who lacks motivation. And I'll show you someone with little or no vision. Ideas, yes. Dreams, maybe. Vision, not a chance. Vision is a big part of the reason most of you here tonight completed college or graduate school or trade school. I'll bring it down even further than that, if you will. That's why you finished high school. A lack of vision is the reason many never finish. Think of all the, all of you college people Think of all the seemingly wasted hours of study and class time. Even though you knew that much of what you were memorizing for tests was a waste of time and effort, but you did it. Why? Because of what could be. Because of what could happen. The potential, the promise, the hope that it would give your life if you could finish that college degree, and walk out one day with that little piece of paper in your hand. It changes everything. Uh, it, was, it was meaningful, and that's why you did it. It wasn't just for the degree. It was for a career. So for four years, in some cases five years, in some cases, well, you fill in the blank. But for sometimes 
For many long years, people have endured science labs, European history, research papers, lectures, and you hung in there through every bit of it, motivated by the thought of graduation and the rewards that it would bring. This is the power of vision. I'll bring it down to a level that, that maybe you can relate to if you didn't relate to the, the, the one I just shared. Uh, the illustration I just shared is, have you ever built a house? Has anybody ever built a house? Um, you go find that piece of property and, and so you and your spouse and your family says, we're going to build a house on this piece of property. That just doesn't happen. There's a lot of steps into building a house. And so you have your piece of property. Now it's looking at house plans. And you can spend untold hours looking at house plans. And then there's permitting and there's lot preparation. And you have to build, have somebody build a farm and pour concrete. And the walls go up and the roof goes up. And then it's blacked in. And then all the petitions are put in the inside. And, and it, it just keeps going and going and going. But at some point... At the beginning of that process, you begin to imagine that piece of property with a house sitting on it. That's vision. You're working towards an end. You have a destination. You've been very passionate about it, and now you're being very motivated by it. it uh, we, Sister Murphy and I built a house 10 or 12 years ago, whenever it was. It consumed untold hours of our time. But when we finally got that final inspection, and I remembered in our particular case, the, the inspector was very kind. He said, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And I said, yeah. He said, okay, no problem. Signed a little piece of paper, handed it to me, and said, you can move in anytime you like. Uh, it was such a feeling of fulfillment, and it was that moment that kept me motivated through that six months of building a house, being there every day, on site every day, checking every day. Sister Murphy worked untold hours, picking out things, going to this store and that store and picking out flooring and carpet and light fixtures and fans and wall colors and on and on and on and with it. Just days and hours and hours and hours. It was all done. The motivation was there. The passion was there because she had a destination in mind. And if you and I can, can understand this, in our personal lives, vision on a personal level. If you can understand it in your relationship with God, in your marriage, in your family, on your job, going to school, whatever it is. If you're passionate about where it's going to lead you, if you stay motivated about where it's going to lead you, then you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. It, it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart, particularly in the, on the church level, for people to say, I can't. When I know full good and well that you can, people can do pretty much whatever they want to do. As Brother Oggs preached years ago, Alan Oggs, you got to have a want to. It's, it, it encapsulates vision, those three words. You got to have a want to. Uh, it's amazing to me what just staying motivated can do, even when you have bad days, when you have bad times. When you have trying times, when you go through terrible circumstances, I will promise you folks tonight with all of my heart, the thing that kept, motivated, kept me motivated last year through all of this pandemic business in the first part of this year 
was I never lost sight of our vision, our church vision. I just can't lose sight of it. I can't lay it down. I can't set it aside. And even and with all of that going on, as crazy as it was, as abstract as it was, parameters were different everywhere you go, still is. Uh, everything's, everybody's different with it and, and applies everything different, whatever. Uh, as, as difficult as that was, I still could not make a departure from that passion and that motivation in my heart about this church growing and still resuming our vision as soon as possible. It's motivation. The reason I'm motivated by it is, first of all, first and foremost, I would like to go to heaven. Secondly, I want my family to go to heaven. Thirdly, I want all of you to go to heaven. And that's my motivation. That's what keeps me motivated. And it does every day. I never set it aside. It never goes away. Even on vacation, on trips, it never goes away. It's being motivated. We have, we have people around us that have to be saved, and you can never grow weary with feeling the, filling the sandbags. Does everybody understand? You're on board with me. The third thing, the third part of vision on a personal level is direction. <clears throat> Maybe the most practical advantage of vision is it sets a direction for our lives. It serves as a road map. People have, have, have said to me for several years about different church standards and things that we do and don't do. And, and, and somebody said one time, you know, there's multiple ways to get to New York. Well, my answer to that is we're not going to New York. Thank goodness, especially now. Anyway, we're going to heaven. That's our ultimate goal. I don't believe there's a whole lot of ways, to, different ways to get there. But I will tell you this. If I'm going to Branson or if I'm going to Gatlinburg or somewhere like that, and uh, Brother Ben, where did y'all go during Christmas? Montana. I can promise you when they looked at the map, when we look at a map, Sister Murphy and I always do, we'll put in the address of where we're going and pull, up, pull it up on GPS. When you look at GPS, sometimes it'll give you two ways to get somewhere. It'll give you three or four different ways to get somewhere. We try to pick the most practical, the most feasible route that we can take to get there. Sometimes there's shorter ways, but it's more miserable. They're, the roads aren't as good. There's more traffic lights and all that, so I'm not going to pick that way. I want to go to heaven, and I'm not necessarily looking for the path of compromise. I want to look for the path that's most pleasing to Jesus because if he's directing that path, then everything's going to fall into place no matter what happens if he's directing the path. Everybody understand that? I'd, I've, I've never gone on a vacation when my kids were small and said, well, Marcus, what do you think is the best way we should go? Or Casey, what is the best way you think? I'm not going to have them make that decision. Even though they say in the back seat when they're little, how much longer, how much longer? And I think all of us are there right now with Jesus. How much longer till we get there? Um, but there's got to be direction in our lives. And when you're, when you're, when you're shooting for a destination... This is where Brother Jason was so spot on tonight. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. I look at people's lives oftentimes, especially in church. And when you know they're not kingdom minded, they're not kingdom centered. And they're, they're, they're constantly weaving out of the will of God this way. And goes out of the will of God that way. And out of the will of God that way. And it just brings tumult. And it brings conflict into their lives. And they're, they're bouncing all over the place. Where I look at other church families that are just steady. They have their trials, they have their heartaches, they have loved ones that pass away, they have bad things that happen, all of that, but they're steady. 
and they're in pursuit of their relationship with God, and they're in pursuit of putting the kingdom of God first, and it just seems like things, there's just a quality. There's a characteristic to their life that people who are all over the place don't have. The Bible said that an unstable man, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We have to have single purpose, single vision. And when you bring direction into your life, this, this is why I encourage people, our, our young folks that are here, Ethan, what do you want to be a year from now? Cole, where do you want to be a year from now? Have you ever thought about it? Do you think about it? Or do we just live every day from paycheck to paycheck? What do you want to do? What do you want to be? I'll ask our JVers here tonight. I'm very happy to announce that a 10, almost 11-year-old ran our live stream this past Sunday. Isn't that amazing? Our little JVers are where I thought you'd be kind of happy about that. I think it's pretty cool, especially being that it was my youngest grandson that did it. But uh, we, we have our young folks are working all over the place now and at Grace Church. It's going to continue and it's going to keep growing, and I'm very thankful for that. We're trying to bring direction to their life. What do you want to be? Eli's been working lighting, doing a phenomenal job with it. Others have. Finley's been working lighting, doing a phenomenal job. But does is it end there? You want to stop there. Um, uh, where do you want to grow in the next year? What do you want to be in the next three years, the next five years? This is where direction is imperative. And if you say, I would like to be a this in church, I'd like to be a that in church. If, you, if you'd like to say that uh, I know Heather's done foreign missions. Maybe there's people here today that wants to do foreign missions at some point in your life. If you do, then how are you going to get there? How are you going to make it happen? What are you going to do to accomplish it? you got to have direction. Direction gives you a destination, and then you start calculating on how I'm going to get there. You start planning. So vision will prioritize your values. A clear vision has the power to bring what's most important to the surface of your schedule and your lifestyle. A clear vision makes it easy to weed out of your life those things that stand in the way of achieving what matters most. Vision empowers you to move purposefully and, and in a predetermined direction. Once you have clarified your vision or visions, many decisions are already made. So without vision, good things will hinder you from achieving the best things. Vision is the key to faithfulness. My observation is that people without clear vision are easily distracted. They have a tendency to drift from one activity, pleasure, or relationship to another. Without vision, there is no relational, financial, or moral compass. Consequently, they often make foolish decisions and decisions that rob them of their dream. This is why vision is so important. It gives you a destination. Number four, it is imperative when you approach vision, there must be purpose. Vision translates into purpose. A vision gives you a reason to get up in the morning. If you don't show up, something important won't be accomplished. Suddenly you matter. As a matter of fact, you matter a lot. Visionary people here at Grace Church, you matter a lot. Without you, what could be, what should be, won't be. Because you're not here. That's the value. No matter what it is that you do, no matter how insignificant you may think it is, if you're not here, 
then who's going to do it? So I encourage you in one of our presentations several Wednesday nights ago that you be you. Don't try to be somebody else. You be you because if you're not you, nobody else is going to be you. I don't mean that to be silly. I mean it to be incredibly profound. Your set of visions is unique to you. No one else will share your particular passions for what could be. Others may applaud them. They, they may buy into the aspects of your vision that interface with their life. And they may work with you in the areas where you share a common vision. But your vision set is unique to you. This uniqueness gives your life purpose. You have a reason for getting up and showing up. Number five, there's the divine element. It's what Brother Jason presented a little while ago. Granted, you have probably heard or read this type of stuff before. Self-help books are full of this kind of hype. We have all read something about goal setting. If you believe you can achieve, all of us have heard that. But here's where we part ways with the secular motivational gurus of our culture. The average person has the right to dream his own dreams and develop his own picture of what his future could and should be. But at the cross, but at the cross, those of us who have sworn allegiance to the Savior lost that right. After all, we are no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. You remember the rest? We are to glorify, the Bible said, or to honor God with our life. Honoring God involves discovering his picture or his vision of what our lives could or should be. Glorifying God involves discovering what we could and should accomplish. Jesus said to his followers, Terry, until you are endued with the Holy Ghost. They immediately joined the vision of Jesus. And when they received the Holy Ghost, they got a kingdom vision of their own, of doing, fulfilling, and accomplishing the will of God for their lives. We are created and then recreated with His purposes in mind. And until we discover his purpose and follow through, there will always be a hole in our soul. There will always be something unfulfilled, something always lacking. So with that in mind, rethink the implications of this familiar verse. It should be familiar to virtually everyone here tonight in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible said we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Now think about this whole vision thing that we've been talking about and put it all inside that verse right there, and it changes everything. All of a sudden, you're not living your life just because of the way you want to live it, but there's someone else you're trying to please, and I commented a moment ago on that. When I talked about direction, you want to go in a direction that's God-ordained, God-planned, I believe the scripture, I believe the verse of scripture with all my heart that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. God makes, can make your path straight. He can. So don't let this slip by. You are his workmanship. Why don't everybody say here tonight, just say, I am his workmanship. 
You believe it? You believe it? If you do, it changes everything. It's no more about me. It's no more about what I am and what I'm not. It's about what God wants me to be. It's about what God has called me to be. So if you're God's workmanship, do you really understand what that means? You are now a product of God's vision. God has decided what you could be and what you should be. You are the outcome of something God has envisioned. Think about that. I've often wondered, I have to be very careful about what I'm, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. I'll rephrase it into something else. But I've often wondered what people here at Grace Church would be if it were not for Grace Church helping to develop some of their abilities and some of their gifting, even on their jobs. There's people that are part of Grace Church that have really promoted up the, the food chain and leadership and all that, doing a phenomenal job. And I found it interesting that as they continue to grow and, and accomplish more and more at Grace Church, it just seems like similar things happen on their job around the same time. Is that a coincidence, you think? Or is it just a byproduct of being under that giant umbrella of God's blessing, will, and purpose for your life? And as you grow in the kingdom of God, God makes sure that all these other things around you grow as well. David said, I was young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken for a seed out begging bread. Do you think that's just a coincidence? We are being, we are becoming what God has envisioned for us. He has brought about what, what, and what he has brought about and continues to bring about changes in you. Things in you change according to the picture of what he sees. But I'll shock you with the next statement I'm about to make that even his vision for you is not complete because we have a part in it. If you look at the next phrase of that verse I just read, we have been envisioned and then crafted for a particular purpose. And that purpose is to do the good works for which God has envisioned us doing. So God has a vision for your life. That is, he has a mental image of what you could and should be as well as what you could and should do. But honestly, I can't get over the fact that the God of the universe has something in mind for us to do. And Paul assures us that God has something prepared uh, specific for us to do. But if we're not willing to do that, God don't make you do it. Your life can be miserable and it can be full of heartache and heartbreak if you don't. But God's not going to make you do what he wants you to do. It's going to be your choice. So if you don't do it, then God can't bring all of those levels of satisfaction and fulfillment to your life that he would want to. So in conclusion tonight, I want to tell everybody here, you'll notice that vision isn't based on your past. Vision isn't necessarily based on past circumstances. Vision can start for everybody here tonight. Fresh vision, new vision, determination, motivation, all of that can start right here tonight. So I want to tell everybody that no matter where your life may be right now, there's still more to it 
than what you're living. I can promise you there's more to it than what you're living. There's more to my life than what I'm living. I feel like sometimes I'm the biggest anchor around my own two feet more than anything else. And I have to remind myself of that every day, that God has something special. God is working something special. I say those things all the time. People that know Sister Murphy and I may, may be a little more personal, whatever. There's things that's just happened in the past few months in our lives that have just been phenomenal. I didn't ask God for none of that. He just did it. He just did it. And I think this is the kind of things that God does because when you follow his path to the best of your ability, he brings things to pass in your life that you didn't even anticipate. It's the beauty of serving the Lord. I want all of our young people to hear that. I know what I'm talking about tonight. To all of y'all, to our younger folks, I'm an old man and I get it. But I used to sit right where you sit. Where Owen Cooper's sitting right now, me and two of my friends would fight over that spot every Sunday night at church. Who's going to sit on the end? We want to be the closest to the pulpit. We sit on the front rows all the time and always, amen, amen, amen. Back then, I didn't have hardly a clue of where I was going with my life at 16, 17 years old. But when I look back, just because I was sincere in pursuing the kingdom, God still directed my paths without me even knowing it. So let me conclude tonight by saying there's more to this life. We do not have a right to take our talents, abilities, experiences, opportunities, education, and run off in any direction we please. I hope everybody hears that statement tonight. You do not have a right to do that. You don't. We lost that right at Calvary, remember? But then, why would we dream of, such, of doing such a thing? When God has a vision for your life, why would you want to completely make a departure from it and do something on your own? What could be more fulfilling than being what God wants you to be? But at the same time, we have no right to live visionless lives either. If God, think about it, if God has a vision for what you are to do with the allotment of years, then we need to get on with it. What a tragedy it is to miss it. And I know scores of people that have missed it. There's people not even church, and in church today, they're not even trying to be what God wants them to be. They won't even come to church. They won't get their heart right with God, and God has amazing things for them and they, they, they won't do it they, they won't and even if there's people that come to church who still don't do it missing out on God's plan for our lives must be the greatest tragedy this side of eternity I hope everybody hears that Sister Murphy and I were having a conversation yesterday she was lamenting over the fact that our our two grandkids does not have a clue who her grandparents were. And there's a sudden reality that hits. Will the grandkids of my two grandkids know who Papa and Annie are? And we lamented over that. My point is, you can smile, and it's something worth smiling about, I guess. I don't know that anybody here tonight really wants to die and just be forgotten completely about but I can promise you there's cemeteries all over Baton Rouge that there's gravestones in there that nobody has a clue who those people are. My point 
is you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish here. But sooner or later, it's going to pass away with time. But if you put your hand in God's hand and do what God wants you to do, it can be an eternal achievement, eternal fulfillment. Everybody say amen. <clears throat> I'm not stupid, neither am I naive. This world offers a truckload of options when it comes to possible visions to pursue or pursue. But you are tailor-made, carefully crafted, minutely detailed for a selected divine agenda. And it is what you were created and recreated for. God's visions for your life are the things that will give your life impact beyond this life. God's visions always have an eternal element. His individual vision for your life is a small part of a plan he envisioned. And he put it in motion long before you and I ever came on the scene. That's biblical. Without God's vision, you may find yourself in the all-too-common position of looking back on a life that was given to accumulating green pieces of paper with pictures of dead presidents on them. Granted, that is a vision. Maybe that has been your vision up to now. And you may have been vastly successful at the accumulation game. But let's face it, at each milestone in your pursuit of more stuff, you feel like you did as a kid after all the presents were opened on Christmas morning. Is that all there is? Chances are that the memories of your successes elicit little or no passion. They're just memories. After all, a closing is a closing. A sale is a sale and a deal is a deal. Accumulating money or stuff is a vision of sorts, but it is a kind of vision that leaves men and women wondering. Wondering if there was more. Wondering what could they could have done should have done in their brief stay on this planet of dirt that we call earth. You cannot wring enough life or meaning out of secular accomplishment to satisfy your soul is what Brother Jason was talking about. The hole you're trying to fill has an eternal and spiritual dimension that only matters of eternity and spirituality can satisfy. This is why it is imperative that you discover and participate and God's multifaceted vision for your life. It's what you were made for. Your homespun visions, as challenging and demanding as they may be, fall short. They will always leave you wondering. We serve an intensely creative God. If you don't believe God is created, just walk outside and look at a tree. If you don't think that's a big deal, you speak one into existence. He is incredibly intensely creative. We talk about the fact that no two snowflakes are alike, but God has never made two of anything alike. God's vision for you does not include pressing you into someone else's mold. He is not in the business of conforming us to the image of other Christian people. Your uniqueness and individuality will reach its pinnacle in the context of your pursuit of God's plan for your life. Man-made visions all began to look alike after a while. Unless you discover God's unique vision for your future, your life may very well be a rerun of someone else's. Stand with me tonight. <clears throat> challenging everybody, challenging our, our young folks. Don't anybody here tonight think I'm too young for this? No, you're not. If you're old enough to understand it, you're old enough to be relevant to it. If you're old enough to hear it, 
then you're old enough to start doing something about it. I want to encourage everybody here tonight to get your mind off of today and what happened today and what you have planned for tomorrow. Think about a year from now, if the Lord tarries. Think about five years from now. Where do you want to be? And if that's where you want to be, how are you going to get there? I don't believe God made anybody's life so cheap and so worthless and so meaningless that he really don't care what you become, where you go, or what you do. I believe everybody on this planet was created for a purpose in the kingdom of God, and it grieves the heart of God that so few pursue it, especially in the church. But I'm encouraging Grace Church. Heather, don't stop with just the once a summer trip. Uh, your daddy won't appreciate this, no doubt. But who knows? Uh, I have a gut feeling, and I've shared it with her daddy. It would not surprise me that Heather don't end up somewhere full-time in, in Finland or maybe even another country. She's a visionary person. She's set goals, and she's made it happen. She's worked hard, jambalaya dinners and you name it, but she's worked hard to make it possible to fulfill this vision that God has for her life, and I'm totally on board with it. But what else could you do? You don't have to go overseas to do that. You could be whatever you want to be, folks. You can be whatever you want to be. Just ask God and talk to God about it. God, empower me. Help me to quit being immature and childish. Quit helping me to be shallow. All of that and help me pursue genuinely with heartfelt passion what you want me to do and what you want me to become. God bless you. Look at your neighbor and give him a high five and tell him I'm going to do it. I want but about three people. Tell somebody I'm going to do it. Commit yourself to it. God bless you. You're dismissed. And we'll see you Sunday morning in Jesus' name. <clears throat>